beaming yellow 24 karat gold heavy intricate jeweled earrings layers upon layers of gold necklaces all synonymous with the south asian culture right but these gold pieces hold stories and history that have been long forgotten my name is Anisha Palmer. I'm a multidisciplinary artist and a jewellery designer. I create empowering statement adornments inspired by my family's migrant journey that spans three continents. With the support from the Arts Council, I have spoken to a range of people within the South Asian diaspora about their gold jewellery, what it means to them, how these pieces have travelled through migrant journeys, and the memories these pieces hold. Women, particularly women of colour, are now facing all sorts of um, things out in the community that we never faced before. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Dr Aisha Raza. We'll be talking about gold jewellery pieces that have been handed down in her family, specifically a pair of earrings given to her by her great-grandmother normally passed on to the eldest daughter in her family and how these pieces have survived partition and when her family moved to the UK. She responded to the call out I did on my Instagram where I asked you, what are your gold okay. jewellery stories? Um, my name's Aisha Raza and um, I'm, I guess I'm one of those border children who had, um, my dad is from India and my mum is from Pakistan. Um, and so I sort of sit, on both of those, which is quite a, I, I suppose it's not entirely unique, but quite unique um, because people always sort of expect it to be either your Indian or Pakistani. So it's kind of, um, but hey, we're all from the same subcontinent and all share all sorts of similarities, culturalness. So yeah. Um, so that's a little bit about myself. I guess I teach um, at university. So medical students and um, sort of health professionals. Um, I spend most of my time dissecting bodies and talking about anatomy. Yeah. So it's very different from <laughs> pieces of jewellery. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're like fascinated by jewellery. I feel like you've got a real love for jewellery. Where do you think that stems yeah. from and how's that developed? Okay, um, I'm pretty certain it, I was one of those very strange children who enjoyed the geological bit of the natural history museum yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, those cases with nothing but like little bits of stone and fossils fossils were big i mean I, I went through a massive sort of i'm going to be a paleontologist phase so the stones for me uh, i think were the fascination so it was always quite frustrating when the auntie g's would wheel out jewelry which was just gold and you'd be like that's really so boring yeah. uh, but for me it was the stones i think yeah uh, and the history behind it. So, wow, this diamond is so old. You know, that that thing um, in the geological bit was always fascinating. The test of time. fascinating yeah. that these yeah. things had sort of survived all sorts of things and they'd seen so much and that kind of, um, yeah. It wasn't always the sort of super shiny ones. It was quite sort of the interesting uh, sort of shapes and kind of colors. Yeah. But, that whole bit fascinated yeah. me and the fact that you could actually have um fossils sitting inside and when you crack them open you could sort of see them so yeah I think if I had to do it again I might have ended up a geologist of some sort yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or like GIA qualified like yeah I, I would be utterly delighted to do something like that again where did the journey of your family start you know how how did they come to the UK 
being from two countries that were, shall we say, unfriendly to each other, they had to find a home elsewhere. And so um, they ended up coming to the UK because, as my dad always used to say, that it was there was a sort of dignity of labour here. And he had this very romanticised, I mean, we obviously know that there's all sorts of things that go on here now. But um, he had this very sort of romanticised idea of the fact that um, Britain was somewhere where um, it didn't matter who you were. And there was a sort of dignity of labour here and it didn't matter if you were like, you know, somebody who delivered papers for a living or somebody who, you know, was an engineer like himself. So he was really keen to, to come over here uh, in particular. I think he got himself to Southampton University mm-hmm. um, to do an MSc and um, kind of just got a job and stayed and liked being here. Um, and then obviously with my mum, they couldn't go to India or Pakistan, so they ended up staying here. So you yeah. were born in the UK? Yeah, I was yeah. born in South Wales, actually. Oh, so oh in Aberdeer, which is um, a small uh, town, I guess, um, in one of the valleys. So I'm proper valley girl me. Valley girl. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then, yeah, valley girl to city girl. Love it. They, they started off with, I mean, my first, my dad's first job, I guess, paid very little. So they lived in a council flat. And so that was their first home was uh, a council flat in, in South Wales, where yeah. my dad was the Indian engineer, possibly the only sort of brown face for miles around, apart yeah. from one of his best friends who was the Indian GP. They sort of knew us as the, the sort of two brown faces. Yeah. And uh, my mum still recalls, actually, that when I was born, the entire estate knitted and stuck things through the letterbox how lovely is that that's not what you think of I think thinking about being the only brown people in no no it was it was lovely I have to say that as a early childhood memories I don't have any of racism of any sort um and really kind of took us into their community so well I suppose we were a novelty as well at that time so it was like oh the Indian people with their shiny clothes and um because of course every every celebration they would put on their saris yeah yeah, exactly oh I love that though I think that kind of like I I guess for me it's kind of like kind of my own perception of what that would be like that's just shattered it completely and I think that's so lovely like them actually oh yeah absolutely I love the closest thing I've seen to that is um you know Sanjeev Bhaskar did the Indian doctor yeah that, that, was, that was the vision in my head while you were talking literally totally. that. that was yeah. it because like my my dad's best mate he was the GP and so that was his life um I mean literally that we, we were sat there when they were doing the reruns I think a couple of months ago and um mum was like oh wow this is this is so this is this is what happened these these little stories that come about this is our life South Wales Valley was as so bold from like Karachi as you possibly could get yeah, um, yeah, yeah. literally couldn't find two polar opposites and you know clearly there were days when she, she said well you know I'd sit there and I'd look out into this grey wet you know yes it was very beautiful because we were used to the dry and the hot but yeah. it, eventually you'd sort of think what have I done what an isolation the isolation yeah of that, yeah absolutely you know? Not having, like growing up, being having your family around you, being in a joint family, having them to yeah. help you raise your kids, being able to talk to them, late night stories with women, and oh my god! And I just think being alone 
in like a place in England that have no connection to home it must have been horrible and the only support you've got is your husband and then even that you know you're you're go off to work and then you know obviously once I came along she was a you know busy doing my nappies and whatever mm. and um there would be that whole thing around child rearing but until then she was like there was, there was this whole time when I was just sat there and yeah. so the other Welsh ladies would knock on her door and be like hi hello love you know uh, would you like to go down to the shops and we could go together and you'd just oh, be like yeah, I love that I love so, that and I think creating they created their own community within they did, the they they did to around. the point where they are family now and so I think for us that's making our history richer is the fact that we're sort of dragging different threads into it but they in turn have learned things from us which is also making the whole of our sort of collective UK history much richer so that whole thing about that you know the diversity is actually our biggest strength is couldn't be more obvious I think now because exactly that thing that binds everybody together and we learn things from each other and um you know we learn to have like roast dinners once a week whereas like you know they learned how to make curry so it was all kind of interlinked you know going never... back to to Wales now is a very different Wales mm-hmm. um you know it's far I felt the racial tension was far more um you, you felt that the community had changed in so many ways mm-hmm. um and that's why projects like this are also like super important is because women particularly women of color are now facing all sorts of um, things out in the community that we never faced before what role does gold jewelry play in your life or has it played in your life it only comes out really at sort of festivals or sort of weddings I think for Asian families it's all about weddings equals jewelry obviously I wouldn't be skipping about wearing these on a normal day (laughs) why not I mean well yes um, (laughs) I have others which you know I would but for starters they're quite heavy so I was just like okay um I yeah I don't think I would be skipping about wearing these unless it was a family wedding or unless it was a special occasion obviously very very precious to and not just sort of in financial terms. I think it's precious in sort of evoking all those all those women who wore them before me. It's like they're here with me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. So I would put them on for special occasions when you need that extra support. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. You feel like they're there with you. And, they're like, there, like, yeah. and the yeah. weight of them is that kind of like, you know, it's almost like they're there. Yes. Kind of well, they don't pull in your ears to make sure that you don't mess about, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, where they're sort of like, now behave. <laughs> You've got your aunties there telling you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. generations of women are sort of going, stop it, don't be too, you know, don't say anything too rude. <laughs> love that. So is there a particular piece of gold jewellery you love and cherish and why? So I'm wearing these ears. Aisha shows me these incredible statement gold earrings. The shape is a half moon shape, almost like a hoop. The feed where it connects to your ear is like a piece of wire that goes through your ear in their side facing earrings, but super statement. They've got red and green and pearl stones in them. 
Imagine rubies, emeralds, diamonds set into filigree hand cut out patterns, almost like lace. And you've got little, little drops all the way around the jan body, the half moon shape of pearls and emeralds just adorning the edge. And then you've got a tiny, almost fish shaped drop at the bottom of the half moon shape. She tells me that it's part of an incredible wedding set that her great grandmother had. And the piece that was handed down to her were these earrings. Um, and these earrings have been passed down uh, in my mum's side of the family. So her mother gave them to her. So at the moment they're obviously hers, so I'm borrowing them. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're passed on from eldest daughter to eldest daughter. And that's been happening for what the provenance, I guess, I, I mean, know of uh, yeah. for about four generations, five generations. They're four generations old. That's yeah. Wow, okay that I know of that's what I've been told is that they're passed on from eldest daughter to eldest daughter wow I think that 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 I think from the stories I've kind of kind of picked on they're probably the oldest the oldest jewelry pieces Ooh. so I kind of feel that this is my connection with my grandpa because yeah. we never met I love so. that I, I absolutely love it. and I feel that as well with like I think like one of the reasons I'm doing this is because my grandma passed away when I was 12 so I never got to ask her any of these yeah. stories so it's almost like she's telling me her story through the pieces yeah absolutely and, and, and it's almost like I don't know for some reason I feel like it's almost like she's screaming going tell my story like sometimes I feel that I don't know like if you, you well, they work so them. hard I mean my grandma's story obviously she was the generation that that came to Pakistan um, so, you know, they saw all sorts of things that we will never even know. Mm. Um, and so that whole trauma of she was the only person from her family and her husband was the only person from his family. So they both decided that they would go to Pakistan because they wanted something better for their kids, I suppose. Mm. And they were, really felt that, that that was the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and my granddad was the only child, only son. So yeah. it was a lot of onus on him to stay back. And he said, no, no, this is something that we you know, have to do. And he felt very strongly about it. So when they emigrated, it was, you know, obviously, again, with the gold, it's, it's the first thing that gets sold off when you're in trouble. Exactly. And it's always that financial security that women have mm. is here is you know you're given it when you get married and it's just in case you hit you know just in case if all else fails you can always raise capital that way yeah. um and so the fact that these guys have survived all of that and not managed to sort of because she got given a lot of gold so a lot of it obviously couldn't travel with her it could have been stolen on the way there are so many things that could have happened to it I think like in our initial conversation you mentioned something about um the seven layered necklace oh yeah I'd yeah. love for you to share that so my grandmother when she got married um uh, well this is what I've been told from aunties and uncles and the like so I always take them with a pinch of salt but I've had them from a couple of people now yeah. where she had a seven layered necklace which was made of gold and she said that um when people got married it got added to so it was kind of like a, a family tree in a necklace yeah I love um which it I mean I'm so gutted that there isn't even a little bit of it somewhere where we could kind of reconstruct yeah. if you like what it was yeah. but um clearly during all of the turbulence um it was lost along the lines and nobody knows what's happened to it 
as you were talking about again I can imagine what it looked like and and the little bits that were added to it I can just imagine it's amazing I mean uh, the the stories that you get from particularly the females in my mom's family they they blow your mind should be like oh yes you know oh and Senso had one of those and I remember that when I was little and I went to their wedding and they were wearing this and you'd be like what happened to it and they'd be like oh I don't know and often when obviously the larger pieces as um, again with fashion and with family members getting married there is that tradition of oh, we need to give our daughter a set or we need to give her some gold. And so those larger pieces got broken down, down. smaller pieces. So those smaller pieces then go off to different families and then obviously that heritage is lost. Um, And also that kind of continuity of the thing being as it was breaks my heart when somebody says no I don't like this piece anymore I want to get rid of it and I'd be like no no don't do that that's it I think I think there's like two sides of for example one of the conversations I had was she got given lots of gold from her grandma growing up and she she turned it into a bangle that she could wear every day yeah it breaks my heart because I know I wouldn't do that I want it as it was but I can see why somebody would do that it's still the same material and within that the sentiment is still held I mean these these smaller bits on the earrings were detached at one point and worn separately Um, but obviously when my mum got married they they got reattached to to make it a bit more wedding worthy Uh, and so she wore them at her wedding and um, it it has like she had a a choker that sort of was made to match it for the wedding um, and I think they had a large dika, which w- was also from her family. Wow. Uh, again, another lost piece. We don't know what happened to it. I mean, since then, we don't know what's happened to it. And I think that's what makes the pieces that have stayed even more valuable oh, yeah. in terms of sentiment. You know, yeah. the, the pieces that have stayed throughout all of the divisions of gold jewellery, I think it, it makes them so much more meaningful. How does it feel having them on, wearing them, pulling them out? emotionally oh yeah it's like you could take on the world it literally is like you know the best pair of shoes ever like I said like they're all here with with me so when it is sort of an important occasion it's kind of like everybody all those generations of women that wore them before me are here with me even as I'm sat here talking to you it's kind of like they're speaking I can feel, to I can feel it I can feel I can feel you know it's not a confidence but that like yeah I guess it is that kind of like extra bit yeah. of like oomph it's an oomph. No. Yeah. Like, it's that thing where it comes with, and I've always felt that with stones. I know some people might think it's a bit heebie-jeebie, but they kind of come yeah. with their own sort of spirit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. I completely agree with that. And I think that's why I think jewellery and, and, and stones as well, and gold as well, I feel like they it carries it carries something with them from the wearer. So when you've been handed it... Like a memory almost. Do you know how... Yeah. It, is sort of I mean being a scientist I shouldn't be sort of saying things like this I guess but uh, <laughs> it's literally like you leave an imprint of yourself and I think with with these handed out gold jewelry pieces I mean I, ha- I don't ha- I don't know how to articulate it but there's more there's more feeling from them it kind of accumulates it I talking think talking about the energy generation. that gold holds reminded me of a discussion with Jayant from Pure Jewels he spoke passionately about how gold actually affects the body so maybe me and Aisha were onto something after all Jayant comes from a lineage of gold jewelers going back nine generations his family own one of the oldest South Asian jewelry shops 
in East London. They've owned it for 45 years. So he really is our gold expert who we interviewed for this podcast. It is about the luxury and the warmth that that material has. If you think about the the uh, the properties of gold, the physical properties. If we you know if we if we were to geek this out a little bit, then you put gold on your skin. It's such a conductive material. It yeah. will it will match your skin yeah. temperature, and it becomes part of you. So imagine it's it's you you put a certain material on your body, and then it becomes part of you. Yeah. And that feeling of of you know that that fluidity between physical metaphysical etc i think is quite interesting and the healing properties of it as yeah, well yeah because you've got copper in there in the alloy you've got silver in the alloy and there's also that thing isn't there where um i know certainly with uh, the sort of women elders in our family is that they're very funny about buying secondhand gold because clearly the person has parted with it because they needed the money um, or must have fallen on hard times or must have had some bad experience for them to be parting with something that's so precious. They're very, very superstitious about buying secondhand gold because it brings that negative energy. Bad, bad yeah, bad, like nudger, like bad vibes that come through. That's what they, and my mum was telling me the other day about the Gohinor diamond, you know, you know, it's... Um, bad luck is cursed whoever it's, whoever has yeah. it yeah it's, it's cursed whoever's been in the possession of it has had a really sad end to their life or you know their life's been really sad and it's it's really interesting that now it's sitting as this like glorious thing in the tower of london and it's and it's a cursed jewel here we're talking about the history of the kohino diamond and the supposed bad luck it possesses it's thought that it has this bad luck because the way it was possessed by the British from 11-year-old Maharaja Dleep Singh. There's a whole five episodes we could do on the incredible, important, relevant history of the diamond. Definitely look into it if you have some time. So beautiful. Like, well, this is the thing. It's like these objects are so gorgeous and yet, you know, clearly if they have come up for sale, there has something that's happened to them. If you're kind of now sort of seeing them and and it's it's got a price tag on it, then you've kind of commodified that whole energy. We're seeing a very uncomfortable conversation happening at the moment, especially with Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and also with wealth in this country was built on the misery of other people. A lot of the things, the beautiful things that were raided and plundered and and brought over was through the misery of people. And yeah. here they're kind of built up as um, stately homes and treasures that people brought back with them then, after after the empire sort of crumbled a bit. Yeah. Um, things started coming back here. So that, that provenance of coming from, you know, we would make a big thing about returning works of art and returning things to where they ought to go. Um, but I suppose with jewellery it then becomes it's incorporated into somebody else's collection now yeah and half of the time they don't have um, the provenance of where they came from no they say they were gifted or that they were yeah yeah. exactly yeah it's just interesting I think yeah but like knowing where things came from and the truth I think it's so important and I think think particularly for us who are born and brought up here yeah um, that that connection with our heritage is very important because um, there was a time when, you know, when 
my granddad was alive we used to go every year so it would be a thing where you would go back and visit mm. um with my dad's family less so because it was more sort of of a hassle going um to where they lived in india mm. so we only went for a handful of times but even then um there was that that is the only umbilical cord with with our where we come from yeah. um and yes you know we have a lot of our own history coming into that but where we come from is a very important missing bit Bit. and we just need to connect that and quite often it's through objects like this that we have a connection um otherwise you know there's very little Mm. um there's and what we get told is of what they left behind so it's out of sync with what india today or pakistan today is like Mm -hmm. so for us, we're in a bit of a time warp because we get it from our parents or grandparents and, and that that thing doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, so we kind of got a little time capsule um, of information. That's and, and so true. Yeah, wow, I didn't even think of it like that. It's, a, it's, a t- it's stood in time, pieces and heirlooms that have, been, that have stood in time. And that's what what makes it so relevant to your family or to the person in your family. Yes. They're, they're so um, significant to the family story. How do you see these pieces or, or your earrings being taken forward into the future? Um, well, I don't have any kids. So um, I guess unless I get busy, um, <laughs> it'll go to some nurse, <laughs> learn my niece <laughs> of some sort. So it's it's one of those things where it I can't say I really thought about it um but yes afterwards I wouldn't part of me is like actually something this lovely ought to be should it be parked in a museum um so that other people could um sort of admire it and get its story and and do it that way um or do you think about it as actually that energy of all those people would just be sat on a shelf somewhere and brought up for the odd whatever and yes it belongs to the public but does it really like i think no so i think it needs to go to another another next generation woman absolutely and somebody you know if it's not my firstborn daughter then um why not from another member of the family's firstborn daughter so yes all my nieces better be nice to me (laughs) (laughs) jewelry chooses you and in many ways because yes everybody has it and and it's kind of like that thing where you know my mum got them because she actually did again she was she loved them and she when quite a lot of families they sort of go okay you're getting married what bit of my jewelry do you want Mm -hmm. and so my mum was like them and it was well it was a kind of given anyway that that that's the one the piece that she would get um my her sister has got um uh, a pendant um, but that was a modern pendant that my granddad had made for my grandma when they got married. So um, it, we say it's a mudikai when you see your, fa- uh, the, your bride's face for the first time, you give her a gift. And so um, he had a, a kind of, there were octagons um, in rubies and zircons. Um, and he designed that himself. And he had a pendant and uh, tops. Little, yeah, little tops. Little yeah. Dud, yeah. yeah and um so my auntie's got those um and then another auntie's got some other earrings that my gran had made when she got married um so i think i i I landed the old ones but nobody really wanted i guess um so i just got lucky but i think 
it chooses you because it ended up in our household and for a reason I've been fascinated with them I mean literally it, when I first got my ears pierced it was kind of like oh they really really hurt putting them in and um as in the, the ear yeah, sort of yeah. hole was tight the yeah. things that got big fat things and and I was like how does anybody wear them how did they wear them yeah. and yet you know here we go you know that when you're ready you just wear them but, but it's, it's lovely that you had them in mind when you went and got your ears pierced for the first time these are the earrings you had in mind that you'd be putting on at some point you know that oral tradition of the sort of mother to daughter kind of discussion about where it came from and how it was and whenever various people in the family got married they were like oh you know who's got those and I'd be like well that'll be us <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people's like actual names we don't know we just know there was so-and-so's mum or yeah. so-and-so's auntie yeah. and and that way because obviously it's a mark of respect that we don't use their names, names yeah. so that's another thing is that it was very difficult to sort of see who actually had them because yeah. they just said oh so and so's mum had them um, and, exactly yeah I mean yeah I don't even think my dad would know my great-grandma's name or like, yeah exactly and, like and that's that's like not even that far away and we don't know her name and I think and it, obviously it's always the male name that stands and people that's tend it. to remember the male but the woman's always forgotten so I've been really thinking about how can we document these gold jewelry pieces so imagine you're handed down these amazing gold jewelry pieces from your grandmother, but with it comes this passport and in the passport you see the photos of your ancestors, female ancestors that wore these pieces and they've left a little handwritten note for you to tell you the history of the piece. And then you put your own photo in there with you wearing this piece proudly and your handwriting a note for the next generation that you're passing it on to. And this stays with the piece, wherever it travels, wherever it goes. So the person knows the providence and the history of the piece. Women are very funny about who they give their jewellery to. So they will give them to their own daughters, but the daughter-in-law will not necessarily land the good stuff. A lot of women, when it comes to that, you know, their son's getting married, they sort of say, oh, well, I ought to give her something. Oh, I'll get her something new, something that she'd like, yeah. um, because yeah. she wouldn't like all this old stuff. It became a big thing in the, I think it was mainly around in the 80s when people were like, oh yeah, you know, I got given this, I don't like it. So I'm going to melt it down and make something else out of it. Yeah. And I just think that's so tragic because even if they're nasty, that person gave them to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was that, you know, it was that sort of sense, again, that sort of energy is then lost. And also, it's quite funny because you don't know if what they've gifted you has been gifted to them. So well, they're that's trying to get rid of it as well. There might be like a manky pair of earrings that they don't like and they've never liked. And their mother-in-law goes, where's those earrings that you, I gave you? And she'd be like, oh, all right, it's a family wedding. I'll put them on and then hand them off to the daughter-in-law as soon as possible. So, so I'm sure there's some of those pieces which aren't so lovely, but they come with that lovely story where it's like you're the daughter-in-law, so you have to wear them. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, okay, so is there anything else you'd like to add from the conversations we've had? The important, important thing is, is just to get that histories down because yeah. there's so many people that have got these one piece of something that's so precious to them 
Um, and in many cases, it's like nobody's spoken about it. And I think for the diaspora here, this is very, very vital because like I said before, it's, um, it is our link to yeah. our history. And quite often some people aren't as lucky as us to have at least even an oral idea of where things come from or where we come from. Yeah. Um, you know, with more and more, I guess, mixed marriages, um, more and more families where I guess the there has been nobody to fill in the those blanks. Mm -hmm. But a jury was a major part of women. I think it's um empowered women in the past because mm -hmm. it was their one thing. It was their security. It was their it, it wasn't just to sort of look pretty and a little bauble. There was more it, to it. There yeah. was more to it. Um, yeah. you know, you you could wear it all the time but yet should you hit hard times that was your security your parents gave you loads of it because they were like we don't want you to go without ever so I think it empowered women a lot it gave them options because like I've heard of stories of people's grannies coming over and buying land with their jewelry yeah. because yeah. that and then when um it all went to pot when the rioting happened and all sorts of things happened everyone had to go and live on that on that house that she built on whatever jewelry she'd been given. I always say, I say this with, with my brand, like, you know, I use my grandma's jewelry as my archive of inspiration and it was her security, but what beautiful security to have. Um, there's something there, you know, that is locked away. It's kept precious to me. It's their security, but it's so stunning. There's history of it right from, I assume it must've been in other cultures too, where yeah. there's a huge history of this is how women got things done. They didn't have the access of, you know, traipsing off to find a bank or to do whatever necessarily. Quite a lot of, I mean, particularly in the Indian subcontinent, women um, were expected to sort of stay home and not really leave the household mm -hmm. very often. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of going out and getting things sort of sorted never actually exactly. used to happen. The most important thing about your entire project is the fact that it's our female history yeah. for the diaspora. It's, it's our story and our ancestors and how they they quite often were up against the similar fights that we are right now you know we're going through this covid pandemic and there's all kinds of things happening in all kinds of places and people are suddenly finding themselves in times of trouble again grandparents had gone through partition there's people who've gone through world wars have gone through family issues with like you know all kinds of people being separated or having to go somewhere and start afresh start afresh exactly within the diaspora the gold jewelry holds so much yes so history specifically within the diaspora because of that because of how it's traveled why it's traveled how yeah. it's survived um what yeah the security it's been for families i think within the diaspora it almost holds more value i feel they there's stories of people who um came on the plane with their entire like wedding jewelry on because that was the only way they could bring it it was it, I, I mean i used to find that hysterical i'd be laughing at them and going seriously and they were like yeah yeah that you know we got on the plane and we had like you know i had my full jewelry on and the stuff under under my clothes because that was the that was my how how i brought it here because i did ask i said how the hell did you get it in? and they'd be like well we'd be wearing it yeah. and can you imagine i can imagine a photo shoot of that 
of just women going. Can you imagine to turning up at Heathrow Airport with like, uh, like going to customs with all these all these pieces on? Like, oh, I love it. I love it. How how glamorous, but also yeah. I was going to say, weren't you like scared you'd get mugged and they'd be like, uh, no, we didn't you think didn't about think that. We just thought we wearing it. You know, it's my jewelry. I think it's more important now because we're having that awkward conversation about where things come from and um, in the context of British history. Yeah. So now's the perfect time. The whole thing is just very emotional because, again, those women led very, very hard lives despite the fact that they were rocking out earrings like this that they were actually they had very difficult lives in so many ways yeah. uh, and survived so many different sort of assaults if you like of sorts whether it was you know financial or a whole kind of upheaval of having to move all those experiences have happened before to yeah. this piece of jewelry yeah. you know though it's happened before and it's kind of like happened in a different context but those women wearing it have gone through the same trials and tribulations of life yeah. that we're going through. I could talk to Aisha for hours. Her passion for gems and jewellery and her excitement for women's history has really inspired me to look at what is the role of females within these stories because they are women's stories and women's oral histories that are handed down. And how can I document them to do them justice? I feel really inspired talking to her, seeing where this project could go beyond the podcast and really make the dreams I have for it happen. Thank you so much, Aisha, for sharing your incredible family history and story with me. And as well, your incredible earrings, which I absolutely love. They have superpowers, obviously. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. Superpowers. So yes, we we need to get more of our own sort of Marvel super powered pieces out there for everybody to share. Thank you so much. For These handcrafted gold pieces take on the material form of a family's legacy and accumulate personal stories as they pass through the hands of their keepers, keepers which they choose, pass through the hands of artisans, then adorned by our ancestors and cherished by us today transporting us to places we've never been to and telling stories we've never heard, but the truth we know through the energy they exude. We now adorn them with pride, feeling our ancestors lifting us as we navigate new cultural codes in the land where they brought us for better opportunities in the hopes we can make them proud and carry on their legacy. This is Empowered Adornment. Thank you yeah. for trusting me. Thank you for you know, having that faith in me to share your stories, it means so much. For exclusive photos and more on these stories, follow my blog on my website at anishapalmer.com and on Instagram at anishapalmerlondon. This project was funded by Arts Council England. The podcast was co-produced and edited by Molly Crossley. And I'm Anisha Palmer. A huge thank you to my participants for sharing their incredible stories with me and trusting me to do them justice. It really means the world.